appreciate you sitting with me, though. It's, it's an well, honor. I'm glad, glad to. You, like I said, you're the first Navy man I found, so I'm, I'm excited about that. How old are you, and, and where were you born and raised? I'm 98 years old. I was born in Mississippi, raised in Mississippi, uh, and until Uncle Sam warned me, and he drafted me in World War II. Uh, went in the Navy in January of uh, 1944. Uh, I had a split service. I got out in 1946 and uh, met my wife and got married during the time I was back in city civilian again. And things didn't work out, so I rejoined the Navy in 1948. And, uh, they assigned me to Key West, Florida, where I spent around a little over two years. And uh, my wife, as you know, it takes a special person to be a military-type wife, mm -hmm. which she was not. <laughs> uh, so Congress passed a new pay bill for the military and in that new bill I was making less money than I was under the previous setup. So then they came out with an order that anybody that was making less money under the new system they could get and receive an early out. As soon as my wife found that out, she said, we're going out. And it turned out uh, the best thing that could happen to me. Uh, I ended up with a different career. Of course, my Navy time, I was in aviation part of the Navy. I was an air crewman, a radioman, gunner. I flew in... Uh, dive bombers, patrol bombers, torpedo bombers. And uh, that somehow qualified me for a job that I applied for. I became an air traffic controller. Oh, well. And I spent 30 years in Birmingham Tower. I, I retired in 1987 and did nothing for quite a while. Ended up got a job with Enterprise Car Sales as a driver. This had nothing to do with my military career, but yeah, no, it you... was part of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I drove for them six years. It sent me a lot of places. We delivered cars that they sold. Okay. Or if they, they had a car somewhere and the customer was like here, mm -hmm. they would send a driver or two drivers and pick up a car that they have somewhere. Yeah. The uh, longest trip was some lady in Birmingham wanted a, use an H2. Big military type. Yeah, the H2 Hummer. Yeah, uh, the Hummer. Yes, sir. And it happened to be in Seattle, Washington. 
so she wanted it, so they flew a driver out and he drove it back. Wow. Took him five days to Tra five days trip. to get back. But that was a good career part of it. That did take you a lot of places then. Right. The longest trip I made was to Raleigh Durham, North Carolina. I was on the road 22 hours. Mm. That was a hard trip. I never spent a night in a hotel or anything. Okay. Enterprise finally made it a rule that you couldn't drive over 10 hours. You had to stop and stay at a motel or something. But yeah. at that point, I'd already <laughs> you just reti kept on. retired from the driving farm. But that was a good good time for me. Okay. Uh, I want to kind of step back and ask, you know, what was your childhood like during the Great Depression? Okay, I'm a farm boy. My dad was a farmer, and uh, I moved a lot. I think I went to four or five different schools from, uh, at that time they called it primer. We had no uh, daycare, you know, not daycare, okay. what's the earliest early part? Uh, preschool. Preschool. Elementary school. Okay. And finally graduated from Hamilton High School in Mississippi. I'm kind of speaking proper because in Mississippi, Mississippi, they don't call it Mississippi, they call it Mississippi, but anyway. It's just one long sound. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, where I was until I was at, became 18. Uh, I, I wanted to join as soon as I graduated, when I was, I was 17 years, 17 years old when I graduated. My dad wouldn't sign for me, so I had to wait till. They drafted me. Okay. And I would have joined the Navy that if they'd let me, if my dad had permitted it. But yes, sir. I was going to ask, you know, uh, today being Pearl Harbor Day, uh, Remembrance Day, what, where were you at? Do you remember the day Pearl Harbor was, was bombed? Uh, uh, it was on a Sunday, so I wasn't in school. I would have been at home mm -hmm. on the farm. Probably being around 15 or 16 or so, somewhere in that range, I guess. Well, I'd have been 16. 16. A junior in high school. Yes, sir. Because I graduated uh, when I was 17. Then, so you went into the service in January of 44, right? Right. Yes, sir. Talk about what was basic training like in the Navy. Well, uh, it was uh, quite different to me. I've been on the farm, I was free to do what I wanted to and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. For the first three weeks, I couldn't leave the barracks once, you know. If, it, if I needed anything from like shaving equipment, toothbrush, they would allow one person to go to the PX and buy what everybody in the barracks needed. Mm -hmm. You'd have to make a list. So for three weeks, we was really quarantined. Okay. Uh, of course, we got out every day, but 
uh, I was doing something that they had a routine set up for, which was good. When I went in, I was almost six feet, five, ten and a half, I think it was. And I weighed 128 pounds. I didn't say I was skinny, I was slender. <laughs> and after that three weeks, I weighed 160 pounds. Wow. Yeah. I'm not endorsing Navy food, but the routine was in. Consistency. It was every day the same identical thing, every day. So the routine is what made a difference. And after that three weeks, started going on Liberty. And I think I was there three more weeks before they signed me to school. And then I could go to Liberty one day a week or whatever. It's been so long ago, I don't remember but that part, but I lost weight. I was back down to 100, maybe 140. Okay. But. What was your, where was your training at? Okay, I went to boot camp in San Diego and my first school was radio school, and it was in Millington, Tennessee, which is not that far out of Memphis. And then from there, went to uh, Oklahoma to gunnery school. And from there, I went to Miami. They were assigning me to torpedo bombers. But in that, <clears throat> it was a three-man three crew, and there's a turret on the back of the airplane, on top of it, mm -hmm. right behind the pilot. And they decided I was too tall to fit in that turret. Because I was a radio man, but I was under the turret. And if the turret man was injured, I had to get in the turret mm -hmm. and be the gunner then. So they sent me to Yellowwater, Florida, to another gunnery school. Okay. And at that time I was assigned to patrol bombers, which is a huge airplane. It's a P, they call it a PBY. It's a two, three, it's five man crew. Okay. You got two gunners, a radio man, the pilot and co-pilot. Oh, there's seven of them. There's a gunner in your nose, so I was in Went to Jacksonville for another school in Yellowwater. Uh, Jacksonville, I finished my crew training and had no place for me to go. They didn't need as many airmen as they thought. Right. So I stayed in Jacksonville for about six months. And then they started uh, installing radar in airplanes. So they sent me to were sending me to San Clemente, California to go to radar school. On the way, Japan surrendered. Mm -hmm. So they shut the school down. So my last nine months in the Navy was, I was a show patrol, like MP, and uh, then I got out. And later I became a air traffic controller. Yes, sir. And that's basically my life. I was going to ask you, uh, what what was it that interested you in the Navy, or was that something 
you were assigned to or uh, no I always like I said when I wanted to enlist I was gonna join the Navy mm -hmm. I don't know why <laughs> maybe it's a uniform yeah bell bottom trousers the sailor uniform uh, the army was kind of drab mm -hmm. in fact they call it olive drab uh, the Marines, for some reason, I wasn't inclined in that direction. Mm -hmm. However, they have the prettiest uniform, I think, of anybody. And at that point, we didn't have an Air Force. Mm -hmm. It's Army Air Corps. Army Air Corps. My brother was drafted uh, about eight months before me. He was 13 months older, but it took longer for his number to come up. And he was in that Army Air Corps. He was a weatherman. But anyway, the, the uniform, I guess, was the main reason. Yeah, they have nice uniforms. So you had never flown before that, obviously. You, you worked on the farm. No, I didn't. I, I'd never been anywhere around the airplane. Uh, I bet that was a whole new world for you. Yeah, but you know, when you're 18 or 19, it's, it's always an adventure. Mm -hmm. 18 or 19-year-old kid now. Well, it looked like it was then. We didn't know much. No fear. We'd been to school and everything. Yeah. But as far as life, we had no clue. Yes, sir. And uh, in the military, the uh, you got everything. Your clothes were free. Your meals were free. Your sleeping quarters were free. So it didn't cost that much. Because you didn't make much, <clears throat> make much either. When I, when I was drafted, my pay for a month was $26. Of course, that's, uh, now would be a lot more. But, yes, sir. Uh, it, it only lasted a few few months, and they doubled it. Mm -hmm. And you still didn't need any thing. Uh, everything necessary was given to you. But anyway. Which plane was your favorite to, to fly in during your service? Torpedo bomber. Even though I was underneath, mm -hmm. the dive bomber is, I was glad they phased them out. That was a wild ride. I bet. We'd go to 14,000 feet, and next thing you're doing, you're going straight down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Fast as the airplane go. It, did, it was only about 300 miles an hour, but that was fast then. Oh, yes, sir. And then, but pulling out was when it really, it did, you, I couldn't do nothing. You, could, it just, you just, so many Gs you're pulling. Yes, sir. Uh, you can't even lift your hand. You couldn't move. Uh, so that was, I was glad that trying to phase them out. I was trying to remember the uh, the name of the dive bombers and the torpedo bombers. Okay, the, the dive bombers are Dauntless. Dauntless. The SBD Dauntless. And the Avenger was? Aven uh, well, see we had a TBM and TBF, the same airplane, but Fratchow made one and uh, 
trying to think, for the M, it's 12 feet of bomb, you know, TBM and a TBF, Fairchild and uh, you know, it's another company that made it. Okay. But they were basically the same airplane. Yeah. Uh, what was, uh, can you tell me what life was like on bases during World War II at, you know, on the home front? Uh, were there blackouts and that sort of? No, we didn't have any about blackouts. It was uh, pretty routine. Okay. You you did the same thing every day, and then you come in, you get you a shower, and go, uh, may play cards a while, or dice. Yeah. And then go to bed, because you knew what time you were going to get up the next morning. What was your uh, What was your rank that you reached up to? I reached the third place, petty officer. Okay. Uh, you start out as a, there's three ranks. Before you get into the petty officer rank, mm -hmm. you got a just to say what seaman first class, and then a first class, and then third, second class, and third class. Then you go to and you go reverse there because you go to third three. class petty officer, second class, and that was went up. Mm -hmm. But the seaman is seaman first class, second class, third class, and airman. I mean. Uh, Petty officer, third class, fourth, fifth, and then you'd be chief. You had several ranks of chief, okay. depending on how long you're in. So you worked your way up to an officer then, from you. Uh, you got a lot of during the war. You, <clears throat> during the war, you got a lot of promotion to uh, officer in the field. Mm -hmm. Actual combat. If you did good, you they could they could make you a, a lieutenant like that. Yeah. One reason if if uh, you lose lose so many officers, they need officers, so they just promote whoever's yeah, there. Bump you up. And uh, fortunately, I did not have to go to combat anywhere. I'm not a combat veteran. I'm just a veteran. I think Japan surrendered in August. I think six months, if it had gone six months more, I'd have been in the Pacific somewhere. Mm -hmm. It was not to be, which is... You're, you're here to tell your I'm story. I'm here to tell my story. Yes, sir. Um, what, do you remember much about, you know, VJ Day or when Europe and, and Japan surrendered? Well... I was on a train going to uh, well, San Diego, then I'd get on a boat and go to San Clemente. But I was on a, on a troop ship, and I missed all the, I, I say I missed all the fun. Yeah. I had pictures later in San Diego, and everybody was hugging and kissing and, <laughs> and all that. Uh, so it was not much... I was glad it was over, but it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal for me, but yeah. uh, I didn't didn't celebrate in any way. There's not much you do on a train troop ship. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what was your thoughts when the uh, atomic bomb when you heard about that? Uh, I felt good, mm -hmm. uh, even though it meant 
a lot of people were killed and a lot of people were injured. Uh, but to me, it, it meant the closer the war was going to be over. In my opinion, if, if that didn't happen, men like you would have been sent I, to Japan. I, you know? I would have been out there fighting somewhere. It only took two of them to, for Jan, Japan to surrender. Yes, sir. So even though it cost lives, it saved you know how oh, many, yeah. how many it, lives. Uh, that uh, it disfigured so many people. It's uh, unreal what that energy could do. So a after the war, you you uh, went to air traffic control and, and you met your wife. Well, that's uh, I didn't mean to do that. I I was uh, when you get out during that time, you had a. 5240, they called it. For 52 weeks, a year, mm -hmm. you'd get $40 a month. Okay. So initially, that's what I was doing. I was having my dad on the farm, but then uh, I got a job with uh, in Mississippi Highway Department. I was... Uh, we were building highways, and uh, I worked out the payroll, and uh, then I got the bug, and I got married, and the, the, my boss said, well, you're not going to be staying here, so... I recommended, and my brother took my job. Okay. So when I got married, I was doing nothing. <laughs> and my father-in-law bought a big truck, and we put big sides on it and tarp over the top, and he was selling feed for animals. Mm -hmm. He was selling, and I was delivering okay. in that truck. And uh, that, that lasted, I guess, about close to nine months. And then I went back in the Navy because that was not. Uh, I did uh, go start going to <coughs> a trade school. I was going into air conditioning and refrigeration repair. The school started to close down, so I had no nothing. So that's the reason I went back to the Navy, because I at least would have some money. Yes, sir. And uh, I didn't even consider air traffic control until I got out of the Navy the second time. Okay. That was in 1950. So in 51, I was going to trade school, and this time I was in radio and TV repair and they're going to sh shut down again so I went to Columbus Air Force Base and uh, applied for a job there in, in the radio department. Mm -hmm. It was a Air Force Base. It was operated by civilians. The Air Force wasn't involved in it. 
I'll back up a little bit. At that point in 51, the war had been over for six years. Six years. And the Air Force decided that they had a, a good supply of great pilots from World War II. They'd been in combat. They they knew knew it from A to Z. They decided it'd be cheaper for them to have contracts who civilian operated, civilian trainers. They opened up nine contracts who went on in Columbus Air Force Base. So anyway, when I went there, the guy didn't need me in the radio department. He said, the guy down the street needs a tower operator. Never been in a tower. <laughs> so I went down and talked to him, and he said, go up and see what you think. So I spent about two hours in the tower, came back and said, I think I'd like it. So he hired me. And, and it's still civilian, mm -hmm. but I decided on my own that I would like to get an operator certificate. So I took it on myself to go to Jackson, Mississippi, and at that time it was a CA, Civil Air, and they allowed me to study their procedures out of Jackson. And I went down there and took tests that the CA made all of their air traffic controllers take. I took it and I got me a license to as air traffic controller. Okay. Didn't affect, didn't help me in my current job, but I worked for uh, California Eastern Airways for six years, and they transferred us to Texas because SAC. You know what SAC is? I don't, no, sir. It's the it's the one the B fifty twos was in. Okay. He, he they wanted Columbus, so they made us move. Uh. I went to Mission Texas, and I spent two and a half years in Mission, and. Uh, the contract with the Air Force was running out, so I applied with the FAA, and they hired me, and I went to Birmingham, and I spent 30 years as air traffic controller. That's awesome. I already had my ticket, I mean, my certificate, so I didn't even have to go to school. You just went right into went it? Right into it, and God has been so good to me. Yes, sir. He has blessed me so much. But that's how I got in that traffic go. If I hadn't decided to get a certificate, I probably would not. But with a certificate, they'd hired me in a minute. Yeah. And it turned out to be great. It was not great pay to start with, but it turned out it was good. And uh, so I spent 30 years with them. Here I am. God has ways of putting you where you need to be. And uh, if you if you take time to think back over your life, you'll find out God. I found out God was in my life all the time. Yes, sir. Many times I thought I was doing something. It wasn't me. It was, it was His His will. Yeah. He's He's still blessing me. Two years ago, 
I was having knee pain, knee problems. Mm -hmm. I was shooting pool on my feet all the time. So I decided I'd have my knees replaced, and I did. Both knees replaced, three months apart. Best move I could have done. Man, they're good. They're good. Yeah, you get around great. And uh, my daughter lived in Birmingham. My kid, grandkids were scattered around. Right now, my wife and her kids and all the, all of their kids. I've got four granddaughters and twelve great grandkids. They all live within three miles of here, right here. That's great in Pelham. And uh, they all check on me. They keep in, keep up with me. Uh, I was doing all my yard work, but they don't let me do that no more. <laughs> You just play pool every night. That's that's your job. <laughs> and my daughter was smart enough not to let me sit down, mm -hmm. which I had done for a year, over a year. My wife was she died in uh, June. It was October before I started shooting pool. But she was smart enough to know that I didn't need to stay at home, mm -hmm. and it's turned out to be so good. I shoot now 11 or 6 days a week. What time of, how long do you play usually? How many hours? Well, I usually get to have between 5.30 and 6. Okay. I'll be home by 11 most times. Really? Sometimes it's later. <laughs> uh, You're not out of it. Yeah. And uh, this week I, I shot Monday and Sunday and Monday. And then we're off. I'm off the rest of the week. We start. I'll start back on the next session Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Then it'll be maybe 15 weeks. That session will be over. And uh, you get those plaques. If you come out number one in in your division. Uh -huh. And there's usually about 10 or 11 teams in your division. Each team is eight members. So you're doing really good. So it's a big... It's a big deal. Big uh, organization. I'd hate to play you in pool. I know that. <laughs> and uh, the top four up there. Did I tell you? You didn't. No, sir. The two middle ones. That's for 500 matches, 500 games. Wow. The ones on the end, the bigger ones, that's for more than 1,000 games. And right now I'm close to 1,200 on each one of them. Really? That's incredible. <laughs> so you played well over 2,000 games then. All right. Uh, <sighs> Should be close to twelve hundred on each one. In eight ball, I played eleven hundred and seventy-four games. In nine ball, I played eleven hundred and eighty-three games. Okay, you're out there at twelve hundred. Close to twelve hundred. Yes, sir. Man. <laughs> that's awesome. So I just had a couple more questions for you. Okay. 
is there a one of them being you know what's one of your most memorable memories and experiences during your time in the service is there something that sticks out well there's nothing really outstanding mm -hmm. uh, when I got to Millington I ended up with the mumps so I was in the hospital for about two weeks uh, nothing really exciting happened in my yeah. life uh, I just think the fact that you you trained in you know your torpedo bombers that's and your dive bombers that's just incredible yeah. to me you know and nothing really exciting happened to me. yeah it <laughs> <laughs> was just everyday life you know for I, you back then I, I did get seasick in an airplane that would be a, <laughs> a difference what happened in the patrol bomber we were flying out of Jacksonville. St. John River is in Jacksonville. Yes, sir. And that's where we operated in. The base was right on the river. And one day we were had gone out on a mission, and uh, when we came back, it was having some kind of a storm, and we landed in the river, and it, we couldn't dock. What the, the system was, the airplane did not have retractable gear, which slows it down. So they had huge dual wheel tractors that hooked onto the tail of the airplane and let it down a ramp into the river. And they had frogmen that would take the gear off and then would unhook and they could go out in the river to take off. Well, reverse that coming back in, you'd have to land in the river and get up to the dock and they'd hook on to you and pull you out. Mm -hmm. They'd put the gear back on it. So I couldn't, they couldn't uh, retrieve us out of the river, so we docked on a buoy. Okay. And there, it was rough. That river was wild. And that airplane sitting there this way. It's rocking. And I got seasick <laughs> on that airplane. It wasn't exciting. It was unusual, but it was not exciting to be sick on an airplane. No, sir. I can imagine so. And I, the radio man sat right under the wing, and the engine attached to the wing. And while they're out there, they're going to add and keep the engines running, mm -hmm. and that fumes from that engine coming in right in. Oh, over. yeah. That's what made me sick. It wasn't a, a river so much, it was the, it's the fumes. After that, if I walked behind an airplane that was running, yes, sir. I'd just about get sick again. Huh. It, it all come the, back. The fumes. What plane was that? The one that lands in? The PBY. The PBY, yes, sir. It, and it had a 110-foot wingspan. 105 wing. And that wing was all fuel. It was a fuel tank is what it was. Okay. It was made like, a, made like a wing. Yeah. You had 100 and... It was 110 feet. Okay. And it was a lot of fuel because that, that plane could take off and uh, they could stay out 12 hours from flying. Mm. Of course, if they run out of gas, they just land in a river somewhere <laughs> or yeah. a lake. But... I don't, to my knowledge, 
They never run out of gas. They didn't have tankers to refuel them back then. One last question I had, I asked this to every veteran I sit with, is there a, a piece of advice you could give your grandchild or, or a younger generation to, to live by? My only thinking is, the worst thing they ever did was to stop the draft. Because mm -hmm. you benefited from that. And you, you got a good job. But a lot of these kids out there now not, not working or not living like they should. Yes, sir. Best advice I could give to them is when they get out of school. I graduated and I, I thought I was smart, but actually I was dumb. The best thing that happened to me was they draft, uh, drafted me. Yes, sir. If a, if a young man, and well, ladies too, would take, join any branch of the military for two years, mm -hmm. they can earn their education. And then two years in the military, they go in as kids, they come out as some adults, and they, uh, two years in the military, they can earn an education. They get the education paid for. Mm -hmm. And they, by that time, they're adults enough to know what they really want to do. Yes, sir. <coughs> Other than that, best thing a person can do, not out of school, in, in life, is believe in God, be, be a Christian, and understand what they need to do. Yes, sir. If you, if you can get to the point that you can become committed to something, commit to Christ, and he'll take the rest of it. Yes, sir. He'll place you where you need to be. Sometimes you think it's not right, but no. uh, if you look back, things work out better. That's all the questions I really had. I didn't want to keep your, hey, keep your time. Hey, no problem. I'm not doing anything. I'm off tonight. Oh, you're off. shoot pool tonight. <laughs> okay, I didn't know if you're, you're getting no, ready no. to go to the pool uh, hall. Uh, I appreciate you sitting with me. Hey, uh, I hope you got some information.